Hello and welcome to this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield University in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast will share these stories through oral history interviews that we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy these stories. All right, my name is Rich Schmidt. I'm here with Eric Kramer at Willa Kinsey in Yamhill. It's July 17th, 2020. Thank you so much for joining us today, Eric. We really appreciate this. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Uh, first question, most important question for our purposes is why wine? Um, that's, a, that's a great question. Um, so I have now been at this for about 20 years. Um, and uh, I did my first harvest up in Washington at a little winery called Chateau Saint Michel, um, uh, and that was after working for about seven years in the petrochemical industry. So um, I grew up in uh, Florida um, and uh, studied geology there. Not a lot of um, typically, you know, typical wine grapes growing in, in Florida, nor did I, you know, think about it as a viable career. Um, uh, yeah, initially, I, I went to college to um, be a high school science teacher, and uh, my life plan was to be a high school science teacher and a, and a swimming coach. Um, and then um, I, I wound up taking a geology class uh, for, for the high school science teaching program, and uh, you know, thereby decided to change my major. It was something I was just really passionate about and interested in and, and wound up um, pursuing uh, you know, a, a path in the geosciences for a period of time and realized working for a big oil company um, wasn't my life's calling. And then um, had uh, what I like to refer to as a premature midlife crisis. Uh, in my late 20s, uh, early 30s, and was given the opportunity to kind of take a step back from uh, what I had been doing. Uh, my wife and I were living in Texas at that point in time, and we relocated to the Pacific Northwest uh, for her career. Um, she was working in high tech at the time. Um, she now, incidentally, uh, is a photographer in the Willamette Valley, and uh, uh, her, her company is uh, CWK Photography. So we've kind of taken this journey together, so she, most of what she does is in the wine world. Um, so that's been a really neat thing for both of us to be able to share. So we relocated to the Pacific Northwest, and um, uh, you know, I spent the better part of a year doing some soul searching, and. Um, Perhaps wandering around in my robe a little bit too much, and uh, um, but I did. You know, food and wine was something that had been interesting to me. I like to cook. I've liked to cook for a really long time, and uh, certainly bottles of wine on the table. Growing up, and I wound up taking a part-time job uh, in the tasting room for Chateau Saint Michel while I was looking for work, and um, uh, immediately I was like, "Wow, this wine thing is truly fascinating." I didn't know wine per se um, at the time but knew I enjoyed it, and uh, the more uh, that I started learning about it, the more fascinated I became um, just with it. As, and uh, I was immediately drawn to, I would say, the production side of things, just kind of me being uh, hardwired in the sciences. Um, 
I think it's something that resonated uh, uh, well with me. And it also, I, I would say it also came uh, into my life at a, at a time when I was looking for something. Something, as you said, truly is satisfying. And you know, wine certainly can do that. It's a very, you know, as a, as a career and as a path and as a craft, it's very fulfilling. Um, and I think that was one of the things that I saw in it as a potential career and uh, wound up working um, Harvest for Chateau Saint-Michel to see whether or not it was something I really wanted to pursue. Um, when, I, uh, when I was thinking about it, I came home, talked to my partner about it, and I said, hey, I think I'm either gonna be a winemaker or a chef. And she's kind of like, do, do the wine thing. The hours for being a chef are, are, are challenging, and she had worked in restaurants previously. Um, not that the hours for winemaking can't be difficult at certain times of year. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of how it happened. And um, worked a few vintages in Washington for a few different producers. And then um, uh, a couple of harvests uh, into it, I was, you know, at a point where I was kind of interviewing for production jobs in different places and things like that. And, um, decided that it might be advantageous for me to go back and get a little bit more uh, academic grounding in, um, in winemaking and viticulture. So uh, this was before uh, my wife and I had uh, kids and I came up with an idea and started learning a little bit more about overseas programs and, and kind of said, hey, um, what about uh, me getting some more you know, education in winemaking and grape growing and uh, you taking some time off, and um, we kind of have this one overseas adventure before we have kids, and she's like, let's go. So we did, we, we put our house up for sale and put everything in storage, and unfortunately had to give our dogs away. This is, we were living in uh, Kirkland, Washington at the time. And uh, I had learned about um, a couple of really good programs, both uh, one in uh, Australia at the University of Adelaide, and then another one um, in New Zealand uh, at an agricultural school on the South Island called uh, Lincoln University. And um, uh, decided to pursue uh, the, the New Zealand route. Uh, some of that um, was a function of simply just wanting to live in New Zealand because it's beautiful and it's amazing and it doesn't even look real in a lot of places. And, um, and uh, but I also, the, the programs specific focus on cool climate winemaking and viticulture is something that resonated uh, with me um, and additionally um, I liked that the nature of the program that I was enrolled in there had I would say an even focus to both viticulture and enology as opposed to picking one versus the other um, so then ultimately we packed things up moved uh, down to New Zealand at the end of 2002 uh, and came back uh, here into the US in the summer of 04 and uh, we knew we were gonna come back to the Pacific Northwest. Um, but, and then when I was interviewing, I was interviewing in both Washington State as well as uh, the Willamette Valley. And the more time we spent in the Willamette Valley, we knew that's where we wanted to grow some roots. So here we are. Amazing. Yeah. So before we get to that, I'm curious, backing, backtracking a little bit to working at Chateau Saint-Michel, mm -hmm. obviously the, the, the tiny little winery in Washington. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious about initial sort of initial impressions as you got into the tasting room side and the production yeah. side. Uh, what about the industry drew you in in addition to your sort of the scientific uh, Oh, yeah. Um, I, you know, wine as a, 
as a, a way to bring people together. You know, I, I like, like, it's just, uh, it, you know, it's such a fascinating, uh, not to dumb it down, beverage, but it's a beverage that is, it's about community and bringing people together and it's enjoyable and it's about enjoyment of life and there's stories behind wine. I think that just as a, is just learning more about wine as, as something to both enjoy, but as a, as a subject. It's just really fascinating in terms of the geography and how is it grown and there's different styles that, um, I, you know, I was just, just drawn to that. And, and then, uh, and then you know, on the production side of things, I would say like within the first few days of working Harvest, I kind of knew like, yes, it, you know, just the nuts and boltsy side of things, the operational side of things, the hands-on nature of wine. Um, you know, the, it's a very, very dynamic, you know, at least, you know, for me, I find it to be a very dynamic profession because you get to do so many different things, you know, in terms of things like speaking and engagement, um, but, but then also the biology associated with growing plants and the science -y nature of wine. But, I, you know, as I've grown as a winemaker, the less I think about science and the more I kind of think about style and where do you, you know, the, the, the science to me ultimately, they're, they're guardrails that are there that you can pay attention to it if you want to or, or not. Um, it's not new to me and it's definitely not necessary to have an academic credential in, in winemaking to know how to make great wine that just, you know, I think, you know, for me in a, in a competitive world um, where, uh, you know, where you're, you're looking for perhaps limited opportunities, sometimes an opportunity to, you know, carve out a little home for yourself doesn't hurt. Yeah. You mentioned one of the things that attracted you to the program in New Zealand was the balance between viticulture and enology. Mm. Tell me about the, about the formalized education. What did you learn about viticulture and enology that you took forward with you? And as you mentioned, those, the guardrails. What did you learn about it? And then what did you kind of, uh, at what point did you kind of start pushing against what you had learned? Yeah, I think some of it was just a, theor uh, a theoretical foundation for certain things in terms of how you think about it. And it, it can influence how you think about certain things with respect to wine, whether it's how you think about tannin or the things that make up tannin and, uh, and, and what does that mean ultimately when you're making choices about style with respect to grape growing. You know, there, I mean, I could come up with umpteen, you know, thousand examples, uh, but I, you know, I think just some of the theoretical stuff, it's, you know, it's generally there in the back of my mind. Uh, you know, I would say I, I leaned on it a lot more in the early days because I didn't really know anything about style, um, and you know, and, as, and and without with limited experience, it's a lot easier to kind of simply just read voraciously through a book and understand things. But that doesn't mean you know how to make wine, and so I think you know. But I think one of the things, honestly, that I took from being down there was simply the opportunity to be truly immersed in wine. Um, for a period of time with a really great cohort of other students. And, you know, this extends beyond, you know, this well beyond the classroom, but just engaging in tasting groups and hanging out with some of my classmates and just talking about wine and, and really learning to, to develop your own sense of, you know, what a style mean or, pal you know, really working on your palate. I think, you know, as human beings, we're not trained to communicate about uh, how something makes you feel, you know, how something like wine makes you feel, how does it feel, you know, on the palate. 
and you know, ultimately, uh, you know, as a winemaker, you're creating something that conjures some degree of, of feeling. And um, in a professional setting, you know, like when I'm working with my team, for example, um, it's, you know, there's value in understanding how to communicate with each other about what we're sensing and feeling, because ultimately there will be executional or kind of operational decisions that we make that are aimed at achieving some certain style, style endpoint. So the feeling is communicating, do I like it? Why do I like it? What about it do I like? Okay, all right, what can we do in order to achieve this particular thing? And then, you know, and it's, a, you know, certainly that sense of place and, you know, we'll get to Willa Kenzie, but, you know, Willa Kenzie, it's about truly respecting a sense of place, but there's certainly a style endpoint in mind in terms of what we're trying to achieve here and, and, and that's one of the great things about, you know, you know, wine as well is just that in the Willamette Valley, you know, you could talk to 10 different wine, 10 different winemakers about their own perception of style and what does that mean to, to them and you're going to get a lot of different answers and that's, that's just cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, as long as we have a winemaker here, let's talk about your sense of style and your kind of winemaking philosophy as it's developed over the years. I'm especially curious, since you talk about kind of leaning on the knowledge early on and then kind of breaking free of that, mm. at what point do you develop your own sense of style? What point did you develop your own philosophy for what oh. you wanted wine to taste like? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, so I had the great um, fortune of working with um, a really talented winemaker at Adelson Vineyard for about six years. Uh, Dave Page, and I think, you know, so I would say, I would consider this this fine gentleman to be, uh, you know, a good friend, but also a, a great mentor uh, to me, and I think um, it's important to have, uh, you know, for something that's kind of crafty like this, I find it was important for me to have a mentor. Doesn't mean that uh, the, you know, ultimately what you, just, the choices that you wind up making um, are going to be the same, but to understand the questions maybe to ask yourself uh, along the way. What are, what are the things that you've, you know, it's important to kick the tires and kick them hard over and over again. Um, and, uh, you know, for me, you know, on a personal basis of, as I've grown as a winemaker, it's really come down to uh, palate. And, and, you know, I don't, I, I, I spend a lot more time thinking about palate shape and texture. Um, than I do about aroma, unless it's, you know, provided it's an, unless it's an aroma that I have an issue with. Mm -hmm. But a lot of it is about creating this complete textural picture. And, um, and uh, you know, that's, while maintaining that, you know, that sense of purity and reflection of, of place. Um, but I do recall like having, you know, uh, a couple of winemakers that I've, you know, in addition to Dave, my mentor, a couple of winemakers that I've worked for over time, you know, both in Washington and in New Zealand, um, the notion of texture. Mm -hmm. You know, it's one of those things that you hear, you know, if you're paying attention, you hear it. And uh, I mean, I think, you know, there, uh, I don't think that that's a mistake. You know, personally, I don't think that's a mistake. I think it's, um, you, you, when, when something just simply makes your, the, the, your, your palate feel good in terms of whether it's warmth or mouth filling or velvety or energy and, it's com and, and, and you're not left wanting for more, there's something to that texture, you know, textural completeness, um, uh, if you will. Yeah. 
So how do you, as a winemaker, learn to magnify that? How do you learn to focus on texture? It, uh, from a tech, from more technical or artistic side. Yeah, it's not. It's it's not particularly. I mean, I think you what you learn is there are um, there, you can pay attention to certain kinds of things technically um, that might influence some operational decisions so that you can get to a, a style. You know, to me, uh, you know, one of the phrases that I'll use with um, people that I'm working with is uh, very much a begin with the end in mind approach to winemaking really have a good, solid understanding of where you'd like to go stylistically, stylistically with something. Otherwise, you're simply just going to be left with a wine that, oh, here's what we have, versus this is really what I intended to do. And so, um, you know, whether that's the timing of a picking decision and how you extract, um, uh, both extracting, you know, kind of during processing, but also extracting, you know, later on, uh, you know, in in those early stages of a wine's life. I'm, you know, I'm speaking about Pinot, but we could be talking about Cabernet, and to me, it would be the same. Uh, it would be the same kind of conversation. You know, I would still probably wind up coming back to to texture, and um, yeah, I mean, I uh, I don't want to go down the the geek road of paying attention to catechin or epicatechin and that kind of stuff. Because those, again, those are like the guardrails and it's kind of like, yeah, the information is out there and if it's worth paying attention to, I'll pay attention to it. Um, but if it's, you know, information for information's sake, doesn't really, it doesn't do anything, uh, you know, f for you. So, um, I, you, know, you know, for me, like when make, you know, and, and when I'm thinking, if I were thinking about Pinot Noir, oftentimes for me, I'll, there, there are, there are things that move the, in terms of quality. There are things that move the needle like this, or there are things that make them move the needle like this. And so there's real value to me in paying attention to the things that really make the needle move. And when we feel like we've solved all those problems and figured all that stuff out, then we can start to pay more of attention to these things that make the needle go like that. Um, and uh, so, you know, the, the time, you know, something about the timing of a picking decision. It's a, it's a, you know, for me, it's a style. You know, it's a, it's a style, stylistically oriented uh, decision. It's, uh, you know, how are we extracting during at different stages of primary fermentation? You know, those are style-oriented kinds of decisions. And and you know, what is our approach to you know managing acidity? And but uh, but all of those, you know, you know, over time, a lot of those things have become, you know, more kind of about it's about feeling and intuition. Um, but then also, well, you know, to get to Willa Kenzie, it's also knowing what, what works best for this particular place. You know, the approaches to me that you take with one estate or one vineyard in, uh, say, the Yamhill Carlton district on Willa Kenzie soils would be very different than perhaps you may want to take on something that's planted on a different soil series where the plants behave differently. And the plants give you a lot of information, you know, to me about kind of what's going on. Um, with your wines, and the wine gives you a lot of information about what's going on with plants, and you get a lot of you, you know, a, a lot of the the guesswork or the intuition or the questions you're asking yourself, you know, for me are happening during the growing season when I'm just simply walking up and down rows and thinking, and um, and if I notice something about a particular wine at one point in time that maybe I had an issue with or didn't like, 
and uh, the first place I'll generally look is out in some block somewhere and kind of go and all right is there something here that I'm you know that I'm not seeing um, and that's you know that gets back to the whole dynamic you know it's it's so fascinating how dynamic it can be and is um, you know, because each year you're met with a different set of challenges and, you know, an experimentation is super fun and super cool and it's very gratifying to come up with some ideas. All right, what can we do to make this wine taste a little bit better? And, and when you execute on those experiments and sometimes you find something that's worth pursuing and sometimes you don't, and, but it's fun. So I'm curious, as you're, as you're in the process of, of winemaking, you're, you have, you're somewhere between the grapes and the, and the bottle, the finished product, how do you judge your wine? What are you looking for as you're tasting and, and, and preparing to blend or not blend? Or what do you? Yeah. What, what is what is the main judging characteristic for you? Uh, uh, balance and just clarity. You know, ba so balance meaning um, you know that texturally complete picture where there's nothing that sticks out like a sore thumb that uh, that I have an issue with. So a, a wine going into your mouth with enough intensity to grab your attention. Uh, and then it's simply feeling good texturally, you know, meaning like um, there are times when I've, you know, and I've mentioned this to, you know, other interviewers, that kind of a thing where uh, if I can uh, have a situation where my mouth feels better when the wine is in it than when it's empty, then that wine has met the goal of textural completeness. Mm -hmm. And um, so, it, you know, it's intense, it's got, it's got energy, it grabs your attention, it simply feels good. Um, it feels balanced, meaning there's no tannin or acidity, nothing that's cloying in any way. And then as it's finishing, there's enough of an intensity and length on the finish for me to, to remember that particular wine um, and, and know that I enjoyed it. Um, and then clarity is really about that, you know, that sense of place, you know, that sense of style, you know, for, for, for me and what we're doing uh, here, if I were to talk, talk about, you know, the style that, you know, we're truly trying to pursue here, it's clarity of fruit, clarity of place, and seamlessness. Seamlessness, don't know what you mean by that. Uh, a wine should just uh, flow effortlessly across the palate. As opposed to um, some, you know, something that says, oh, I love the acidity on this wine. I like the acidity too, but I don't want that to be the, like, the, the be-all, end-all. It needs to be part of that balanced picture. You know, a wine that has uh, enough structural acidity, has energy and freshness and tension, but not so much to the point where I'm like, boy, that's really tart and acidic and you know it's 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 it, nothing again not, nothing sticks out and we and and I would say we go you know uh, you know throughout the process whether that's during the grape growing the wine making or the blending process we're going to great lengths to try to get to try to get there uh, and that in itself is fun and gratifying and but it's a it's time it's lengthy and it's time consuming and you know it takes takes patience and it takes you know a lot of focus um, and um, sometimes a strong liver <laughs> yes <laughs> so when last we left off you had you had kind of fallen to the Willamette Valley you as you were looking for jobs you came back tell me where you, as you kind of decided this is where you wanted to be 
tell me about the next step. Where, where was the first place that you, you worked when you came back to, to the Northwest? Yeah, so um, uh, I worked for uh, a winery called Tory Moore for uh, for a short period of time when we uh, uh, came back into the Willamette Valley and um, it was a, a neat fun little place to work and um, uh, I got a phone call uh, from Dave Page uh, the winemaker at Adelsheim you know within a year of having uh, come back into the Willamette Valley and um, I, you know, he had gotten a hold of my resume or something like that and uh, asked if I'd ever be interested in coming to work with him. And I was like, well, uh, let's talk. And so I, I think, you know, after my first interview with him, I knew pretty quickly, and I was looking for, uh, you, you know, just, you know, an, an, an estate place uh, like that, uh, and someone who I felt could be a really great teacher. And uh, between the, the place um, and the reputation of Adelsheim, uh, but then also having an opportunity to work with a really great teacher like Dave, uh, I think I knew within the first hour of an interview, I was like, "This is the guy. This is the this is the gentleman who I need to work work for for a while." And um, and we worked together for six years and had a lot of had a lot of you know great time together. Spent I would say at least fifty percent of that time just laughing and drinking. Um, and 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 and, communi and and learning how to communicate, you know, with each other, um, and supporting each other, and and uh, it was just a truly awesome opportunity. So tell me about your role there, official role, and, and then maybe kind of what it grew into being as you're there. Yeah, so yeah, you know, so I I, I started there uh, as a seller master, you know, basically kind of running seller operations and. Um, you know, helping to ensure that work in the cellar is being executed, you know, a timely, on a timely manner and appropriately, but having a pretty big, you know, even initially a pretty big role in, you know, what's happening with the wines. And um, my first harvest there in 2005, um, I remember Dave asking me, so you want to run with the whites? And I'm like, sure. Um, and uh, so, and, and you know, I, I'm I'm a believer in um, uh, being put in a you know, it's important to grow. One really good way to grow professionally is to be put in a position where you are. I call it the uncomfortable squirm, and I've used that phrase with people who've you know who, who've worked with me, like. You know, it's it's good to be a little bit it, it's it's good to be a, a little bit uncomfortable, and provided you've got the support to to be uncomfortable. But it's good to be a little bit um, uncomfortable um, because you get stretched. And uh, so I was certainly uncomfortable that first harvest, running with um, you know several hundred tons of Pinot Gris and Chardonnay, and and uh, learned how to 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 make it work. And uh, and I would say. Some of the early, you know, some of the, you know, the early foundation of of the approaches to just um, white winemaking and texture and balance were laid during those early years of me kind of running with whites at uh, Adelsheim. So obviously Adelsheim, one of the more well-known places in the, in the valley. Tell me about working there at, at, and what you what you kind of took with you as you went on into the in the valley. What, what were the things you, what kind of the lessons you learned? that you kind of tucked away for, for the future? 
Um, yeah, I would say, uh, you know, the, the, the note, you know, and from a winemaking perspective, um, maintaining purity and balance and, I mean, if you, you know, if you familiarize with yourself with, uh, with the Adelsheim style, there, there's certainly about clarity and, and balance. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and, and, and also, um, I also realized pretty quickly um, during those early days, um, really enjoying the estate, you know, having, having the, the access to work with uh, estate vineyards that you get to work with over and over and over again. So you get to know those blocks and those parcels and understand the farming and the influence of farming on winemaking and how does that change your, your decisions in one way or another. Um, uh, you know, it's, I mean, all of those things are really, really, you know, important. And I, and I also realized that I like, um, I kind of like that size, you know, big enough to play around and experiment, um, but not so big that you kind of feel out of touch uh, with, with day-to-day -day ops and that kind of stuff. Um, uh, but small enough to still feel like a small winery. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what happens next after after Adelsheim? What prompts you to leave? Uh, uh, you know, I, you know, I, you know, after six years of of, of working with a, a great mentor, you start to kind of develop your own notion of of, of style and um, and uh, you, uh, but then also being a, a, a young dad and and looking for you know growth opportunities and that kind of stuff and having a family. I've got you know two. My kids are teenagers now. Um, you know, my son was was actually born in New Zealand, so he's got two passports. That was not that was not part of the plan, but it did happen, and plans change. So that was kind of an, an added bonus coming back with a Kiwi of our very own. Um, uh, you know, I had an opportunity to uh, take over overseeing winemaking and grape growing for Domain Serene in 2011, and. Um, it was a unique opportunity and um, one that I felt would be, you know, worthwhile to pursue. So tell me about your experiences there. Yeah, again with the uncomfortable, you know, I can come back to the uncomfortable squirm. Um, you know, in 2011, you know, that was my first harvest where, you know, truly overseeing everything. Um, where all that ultimate responsibility rests on your shoulders and it's, it's a pretty heavy burden. Um, and uh, I think one of the things that, uh, you know, that I learned uh, about, you know, working for Domain Serene, not just at the inception, but through to my last vintage there, which was 2016, and then, you know, ultimately having overseen, you know, stuff there, but then also in France and Burgundy and traveling a lot back and forth, you learn what you're capable of doing. And that's, you know, it's, and, it's, and you know, when you go through an exercise like that, um, working in an, in an environment where expectations are high, um, and you're, 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 you're tasked with overseeing um, production of, of exquisite wines, but then also um, expanding growth, you know, growth of vineyards, growth of production, uh, growth of portfolio, expansion of portfolio to, to transcend two countries. Um, that's, you know, that's the uncomfortable squirm and, you, and you're stretched, 
but it's a confidence-building exercise when you go through something like that as well, because you get a chance for what you're capable of. And it changes how you think. I think one of the things that I was forced to do there, um, because I like to be, you know, an operational, pretty hands-on winemaker, there was a point there that I couldn't do that anymore, um, because I, uh, I, I the, 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 the responsibilities were simply too vast. Um, and, uh, and that, that wasn't, you know, and to, and to be clear, that wasn't why, you know, I, I made the decision to ultimately uh, leave that, you know, leave domain strain. Um, but it was something that I learned in order to be successful in overseeing, you know, a couple of projects in different countries while you're growing vineyards and, you know, uh, overseeing construction of a new winery. You know, we, you know, we built new wine, winery space while I was there. Um, uh, I, I don't get to be involved in every little operational decision. I can set direction, um, but I don't get to be involved in every little thing. And that's and and and, and, it, and that's okay. I think you you also learn how to work uh, well with uh, with teams. You know, really well with teams of people when you're supported by a strong team and and help. Um, and that's where it becomes really important to help your team understand. Here's where we're going stylistically, but here's why we're going here stylistically. And, uh, and, 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 and encourage your team and, and, and help ensure that everyone understands, here's, here's, here's a direction. When we're all moving in the same direction, um, we can achieve really great things. And that was a really cool thing to be a part of. So then next up after that, it's coming here. So tell me what attracted you about this position. Yeah, I think um, you know. Uh, honestly, uh, I, Will Kenzie is a is an estate that um, I had been uh, interested in before I left Adelsheim. I had actually ap approached Bernie, um, gosh, probably ten years ago now. Uh, you know, and and just ap approached him personally, professionally, and 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 had indicated to him like if there were. Uh, any opportunities at some point down the road um, be a place I'd be interested in um, working simply because of the estate. And so I think like for, for, you know, as a wine grower, winemaker, you're limited by the quality of the raw material that you get a chance to work with. And I think that this is perhaps one of the most unique and diverse estates in the North Willamette Valley. So having an opportunity to work with a piece of ground like this was pretty cool when that opportunity um, came up and I've, you know, the last few years really just kind of digging in here, no pun intended, has been super fun getting to understand the property and, uh, you know, and, and, and um, engage in some kind of infrastructural updates to help, you know, elevate the vineyard, you know, the estate to, to its full potential. You know, but we've learned a little bit more about the, you know, I've learned more about the geology here since I started that's kind of influenced opinions about, you know, what the wines are, why they are the way they are, and that's, it's, it's super fun. Uh, but yeah, you know, so the, the opportunity to work with this estate was, was pretty intriguing, and then the opportunity to work with, with an outfit like Jackson Family Wines was also pretty appealing to me. Second. But I'm curious, since you mentioned the estate and its uniqueness, mm -hmm. uh, obviously you're still getting to know it, but yeah. as you understand it now, tell me what is unique? What is the, what is the terroir here that, what is unique about the terroir here that excites you? Uh, the, it's, uh, the, the diverse nature of the topography here is, is pretty fascinating 
So, um, you know, we have 100 acres of grapes planted here on the estate. About 75% of that is Pinot Noir. The Pinot Noir is carved up into lots of little small blocks like other estates are. Um, but the number of, but we've got a few different ridge lines here. So not only are we dealing with a lot of vertical variation here, you know, in terms of vertical relief, you know, 300 some odd feet at its lowest point to over 700 feet at its highest point, but the different ridge lines, um, you know, create for some different exposures and different terroirs and give us the ability to make uh, five, six terroir specific wines from different parts of the estate that are really great, you know, and Pinot as a varietal really does seem to express, express its sense of place very, very clearly. Um, and to get to work with a place that offers that kind of diversity is really neat, uh, you know, you know, you know, both purely from a, an exploration, uh, explorational detective. I, one of the things that I, I feel like it's a job of a wine grower to do is, you know, your job is to find the best wine on the property. And sometimes, you know, it's, oh yeah, this block's great, that block, you, you don't really know. You, you know you, and the, the detective work associated with finding it, I think is like super fun and it's like putting together puzzles and stuff. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, I've learned within the last year that we actually have two fault lines running through the property. And while it's all uplifted marine sediments called Willikensee soils, the parent material um, for the marine sediments is different in a couple of different spots. And those differences are very closely aligned with some of the wine related differences that we see. And I think that that's just, it's fascinating. It's a fascinating thing. And, um, and uh, you know, and we continue to learn, you know, more as we're, you know, carve up blocks a little bit more and play around um, a little bit more. So I think, you know, that, that, that nature of that diversity is something that I think is, you know, it's a, pretty, it's, it's, it's a, it's a unique thing that I, that I simply like about this estate. I'm curious when it comes to a place like, when it comes to learning a place like this that is so unique and has so many interesting things going on, how do you go about exploring and learning and finding the best wine while also sort of <coughs> maintaining all the other things you have to do on, an, on, a, on the winemaking cycle? How do you find time to explore and dig in and, and really learn your? Yeah, your it's, I mean, it's a, it's a pro, you know, it's it's a it's a process, right? It you know doesn't it doesn't happen overnight. It takes years, and so, well, uh, you know, for me, like, you know, your first vintage at a place like this is just like. What's a baseline? Let's just kind of understand what a baseline is. What are these, how are these wines wanting to express themselves? But with a clear style endpoint in mind. Um, so that, you know, that Willikensee sense of place, but also thinking about clarity, seamlessness, and finesse. So making wines in a way that kind of achieve that style. You'll never get a, like, and, and with the estate grown thing, you'll never get away from it being like Willikensee, because here, this is where it's from. It will always taste like Willikensee. But, but, you know, can you create a Willikensee that offers something that's clear, clearly recognizable as something that is fruity? Um, because the Willikensee estate property, it wants to make wines that I think we feel here can be kind of savory. They will always be kind of savory. Mm -hmm. But can we offer a little bit more clarity of fruit? And working with uh, sedimentary soils like these, there seems to be a degree of tension that comes along with the Pinot Noir here, and you find that a lot with soils grown on sedimentary, sorry, wines grown on sedimentary soils in the Willamette Valley, 
because this is a plant's response to growing in a, an environment that uh, is a little more stress prone than say on volcanic soils where they're looser and more fluffy and the plants are naturally a little bit more vigorous and perhaps the skins are a little bit thinner. Um, and so you get, you know, there's those different kinds of expressions. Um, so, you know, year one is really just, it's just simply understanding. You know, year two is, all right, we understand a little bit. Are there things that we feel like we could be building on? And it's, you know, there's a word that I use when I speak about the blending process, but I could apply it to this, you know, understanding in general is iterative. You know, the first iteration, and this is where the science geek kind of comes in for me because it's this very logical stepwise approach. First iterate, I don't know if you, uh, uh, and, I, and I got that word actually, you know, if you, you read Jurassic Park, remember Michael Crichton using that, the first iteration? That was where I like, I stole that from Michael Crichton using it in his chapters of those, of that book. Um, but it's still some, it's a, it's a word that makes sense to me when thinking about that kind of exploration. Um, and, um, so it's, a, it's an exploratory process. You, you learn, and the wine, and you know, in year one, the wine is, you know, after the first vintage, the wine is giving you information, perhaps a little bit about what's going on in the vineyard. Oh, this walk over here, there's a degree of structural tension and, as well as an aroma that um, I'm familiar with that I may have seen in some other place that I've worked that reminds me of something that could be going on in the vineyard and then you go out in the middle of the growing season or towards the end of the growing season and you see what the canopy is doing and the canopy says, please pay attention to me um, because if you pay more attention to me, I will help you improve your wines. And so it's that kind of thing. And, and, we, got, and uh, you know, we went through that in the 19 vintage with a parcel where the canopy was giving you information and we carved up uh, the parcel uh, a little bit more, and um, I think we found better wine because we carved up the parcel a little bit more. So that's just you know going through that kind of process each year. We've also, uh, you know, since I started here, we've essentially uh, gutted and put back together the the winery. So we have a number of uh, small parcels of Pinot Noir uh, here, and under the previous in you know with the previous infrastructure here. Um, we had a lot of pretty large tanks, I would say, for this size winery, um, and not enough small fermenters. And we simply put it back together, changed the geometry of the tanks a little bit, and put a lot more tanks. We haven't changed the capacity, just a lot more containers, a lot more vessels, so that we can really maximize the differentiation across the estate. Um, and that also really, really understand each small level of detail with all the little individual blocks. And we did that just prior to the 2019 uh, vintage. So we took that, I would say, the, the new updated winery for a test drive just last year, which was a lot of fun. So obviously, uh, you've worked at some, some pretty big and well-known places here in the Valley uh, in, your, in your stops along the way. I'm curious. Uh, you mentioned Jackson family as being a, a, some, a, a, a attributing factor to you wanting to yeah. be here. What about them, at, in addition to this place, what about them intrigued you as, as a potential place to work? And what have you seen in terms of the way they've handled this estate? Yeah, I think uh, one of the things that I found uh, pretty attractive um, to this opportunity, working with Jackson family, it was the level of trust and uh, um, autonomy to say, here, Eric, here's Willa Kenzie. And so that was, you know, that was super cool. Here are the keys, 
go for a drive, let us know if it needs a tune-up, maybe a coat of wax, you know, old, you know, a new coat of paint or something like that. And, um, and uh, so that's been, you know, really fun and gratifying and that kind of support uh, has been great. Um, and just, you know, the, honestly, just the, the culture, uh, you know, of Jackson Family Wines has been uh, a really wonderful thing to be a part of. Both the Willikinsey name and, and the Jackson family name have a pretty high level of, of trust and of, of uh, expectation, I suppose, attached to them. I'm curious about the, the pressure that comes along with those having the working for those both of those names. Yeah. How does it affect? How how you have you dealt with it, and how how have you felt uh, that? You know, um, I'm I'm comfortable working in a high expectation environment, and it hasn't bothered me all that much. <laughs> and I'll just leave it at that. Perfect. Yeah. Right. Uh, as you've, uh, as you know, we're here in July of 2020, so we're dealing with uh, the COVID pandemic. I'm, I'm curious how that has affected your uh, work, uh, if at all, and, and how it's affected the winery here, and maybe how it's affected what you're looking for towards the future. Yeah, that's a, so, you know, it's a, it's a tough year for, for, for all of us, for, for so many people. This, this is not, this is the whole. I'm not talking about wine, I'm talking about the whole world. And I think we all have had to learn how to manage expectations about what's, what's realistic and, and, and empathize with, with things that are going on, you know, not just domestically, but globally in this really scary and, and, and confusing time. Uh, I think uh, initially, um, you know, there's a degree of shock that goes along with something like this, uh, you know, both professionally, but then also personally and what does it mean for you know the people you care about and all that kind of stuff um, but you know as time has progressed over the course of the last few months uh, there's a degree I would say a, a certain degree of acceptance that that comes along with that and digging in and you'll get through it and 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 you know working you know with you know your you know your your, your co-workers your friends uh, and, and colleagues to come up with, you know, ways and ideas to get through it and strategizing. Um, you know, day-to-day -day operations here at Willikensee, you know, have changed, but other than, like, keeping this thing on, you know, most of the time, um, the way that we taste has certainly had to change, you know. Working in a situation when we're, we used to share a lot of glassware, we certainly don't get to do that. Uh, socially disentangled, you know, tasting is is different when we're we're physically separating ourselves while we're tasting now as well. As certainly not sharing glassware, that's that's a that's a change um, that's taken a little bit of getting used to, and it's become a little bit more complicated, you know, for us in terms of the amount of time that it takes to prepare for that kind of tasting. So it's been a little more time consuming. Um, and I would say the other thing is like, um, the, the approach to, you know, winemaking and working on blends that I've taken is, is one, is a reflection of where I learned, which was Adelsheim. It's a very team-oriented approach. Um, and, uh, you, you know, we're, we're all, we're all, you know, so it's my entire staff when we're tasting through these things and talking and, um, and, and sharing ideas, um, we don't get to do that quite as much 
So I thought, you know, and I, uh, so that's been, you know, that's been, it's, a, it's diff that's difficult to not do that quite as much as we, as we like to be able to do as a function of space, time, resources. So that's had to change for the time being. Um, you know, my hope is that get, that gets back to normal at, at some point when it seems like it's uh, okay. Um, uh, you know, I would say, uh, you know, um, from a, from a what are we making kind of standpoint, you have to anticipate, you know, perhaps, you know, pivot, you know, pivoting in terms of production and portfolio a little bit. You know, we've had to, you know, go through some of that and do some forecasting in terms of, you know, what, you know, what is the, what does the current wine market look like? What does demand look like? What does supply look like? Uh, you know, and do some strategic planning there and do some, do a little bit of pivoting there. I mean, it hasn't, you know, it's, it's had some implications here and there, but nothing, nothing that isn't different, you know, nothing that's particularly different uh, from lots of other wineries that are going, um, you know, going uh, through this at the, at the same uh, point in time. Um, getting used to doing, you know, virtual tastings, you know, that's certainly a new thing that I actually think that seems there's real, it's, that's a real, you know, an upside to this and being able to engage with wine drinkers on the East Coast. Um, that you know normally it would have taken a, a, a either a, a trip somewhere or um, or would have needed to be planned and and, and now it's and there's a real opportunity to engage with customers um, at a distance and it's been that's actually been super fun and doing that you know with a higher certainly with much more frequency than might have ever happened um, yeah the, I mean those are just a few examples I would say preparing for harvest that's a big one going to ask about that yeah so the COVID, you know, COVID harvest preparations. And this is where, you know, you see that the strength of, not ja just Jackson family, the strength of the Willamette Valley community. That's another thing that has just been, you know, a real joy to be a part of, you know, for the last, you know, 15 plus years now, is to be working in the Willamette Valley wine community. And one of the things that's been so successful, you know, why are Willamette Valley wines, why have they come so far uh, so quickly within the time sense of the, the time span of the wine world? Um, that sense of community that was established, you know, in the early days um, by gentlemen like David Adelsheim, who's still very active, but then also, you know, the, the, the David Letts and, uh, you know, the Dickie Rath and the Ponzi's. Um, that, that uniting together to achieve a, a common goal, um, that's definitely transcended time. And I, I, we're absolutely seeing that in terms of how to handle COVID. And uh, the Willamette Valley Winery Association is doing a, just a great job um, pooling together resources and ideas and information on how to handle things and what does it look like and how are we processing and, and pulling ideas from other parts of the world like New Zealand, for example, who've already gone through a COVID harvest, so we can kind of tap into those resources there. Um, so, so harvest is going to look different uh, this year, and you know we'll need to slow things down. And going into harvest this year, the clear and most important thing is human health. Um, if we if we work on putting you know health immunity, you know all that, or not not immunity per se, but you know protection first, um, then we will get to make wine. If we don't, we run the risk of not being able to, and that you know that would be a real tragedy. Um, but uh, but and, and not just a tragedy. You know, nobody wants to see anybody get sick, and so 
so w w you know you know working under the COVID harvest is really all about that uh, this year. So that's 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 a that's the big one that's really high on my radar screen right now. What are the biggest changes you've seen in, in the Oregon wine industry since you've been a part? Of? What's the biggest difference between when you when you started working and, and now? Um, I would you know I mean a couple of things I and mean, you know the, certainly the the growing up and evolution uh, you know where I think you know so I when I started uh, here in the Willamette Valley it was like right on the heels of when the this movie Sideways came out and everybody was like oh Pinot Noir this is must be a really wonderful grape and it makes amazing wine and you know causes people to sit in the corner and covet this bottle kind of a thing like Paul Giamatti did in that film um, and uh, I would I would say like the the flag has been firmly placed in the ground for Oregon and the Willamette Valley as one of the two best places to grow Pinot Noir. It's just, it's there. And so that's a really cool thing. I, it was on the way to getting there, but I would say it's there now. Um, uh, my hope would be that that flag is there for Chardonnay in the not so distant future. So that, I mean, Chardonnay certainly coming of age is, 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 uh, is something that I've, I've seen and it's been neat to be a part of because uh, you know, it's, 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 it's great to be a part of a region that's capable of making the kind of Chardonnay we are, we, we are here in the Willamette Valley. Um, the, uh, the level of, uh, of investments here in the Willamette Valley, that's certain, certainly a nod to the potential of the region, you know, both uh, domestically, like investments from Jackson Family Wines, but internationally, like Maison Louis Jadot, digging uh, in here as well. Um, so seeing, seeing that is just kind of further validation to, um, to, to what's going on um, as well. I mean, those, so that, you know, that's, that's certainly a lot of what I've seen. And, you know, and it's, you know, it's, um, I would say for, for younger winemakers, it's gotten more competitive, it's more competitive. Um, uh, and that's a function of just the, uh, the, the growth of the region and, and, and people realizing this is a really cool, fun place to be. I think one of the nice things about the Willamette Valley beyond great wine, it's just a really nice place to live. Um, uh, you know, Portland's not that far away. Uh, I live in McMinnville. McMinnville's a cool little town. Uh, the food scene here is great. The agricultural scene here is great. And um, so the quality of life here is just very high. Yeah. What well, as you look ahead for the Oregon wine industry, what do, you, what do you see it looking like over the next five to 10 years? Uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I see Chardonnay still continuing to play you know, a big role in the region's growth. You know, perhaps sparkling wine starting to play a bigger role uh, in the region's growth. I see um, continued development of, of new AVAs. We just had a couple of new AVAs pop up here in the last uh, few months, which is terrific for some producers. Um, and, uh, you know, perhaps more growth and planting of, of, of wine grapes in, in, in other parts of the Lama Valley that may, may not have necessarily been explored as of late. Um, perhaps continued planting at higher elevations as a function of climate change and, you know, what's possible, I think, you know to get to the climate change conversation. I think like, you know, like right now, as far as plant material is concerned, we can still kind of keep working with what we have, but it's something that I think needs to be, you know, in the back of our minds as we continue to grow and evolve uh, and, and as a region and experimenting with 
you know, kind of keep that experimental box open, if you will, pay attention to plant material in a changing world. What about for the future for yourself? What do you, what do you see for yourself over the next five or 10 years? Uh, you know, certainly, uh, you know, with, with Will Akenzie, um, I would, you know, you know, love to see, you know, more of the estate, you know, achieving its, you know, its full potential. I would say, you know, the, 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 the best wines from Will Akenzie are, are certainly yet to come. And uh, so seeing what we can do uh, uh, here with that, uh, not just with Pinot Noir, but, you know, with Chardonnay and with sparkling wine um, uh, as well. And, um, and I don't know, you know, beyond that, I, I think um, we'll see what my kids wind up doing. My son is now working at uh, Stoller, you know, so he's in high school, but he's working at Stoller. So he's got his first winery job, albeit wa working glassware, gla washing glassware, but he worked his first bottling line uh, day a couple of weeks ago. And, um, and he's expressed some interest in, um, in pursuing winemaking as a career without any prodding or pushing from his parents. So I think some of that might, you know, might be contingent upon what, uh, what, what our kids want to do. In terms of the property here, you mentioned that you think that the best Wilkinsy wines are yet to come. Are you doing, is there anything you have sort of planned that you're going to, you talk about experimentation, is there anything different you want to do, anything different to plant or anything different to, uh, on, a, on, a, on a bigger scale that will be noticeable or is it just kind of fine tuning what you have? It's, yeah, it's, it's really about the tinkering and the fine tuning. Uh, it's not, I mean, there's, we're not doing anything particularly miraculous here. I would say we have a little bit of redevelopment going on with, you know, a couple of underperforming parcels. Uh, and you know, changing plant material around a little bit, but nothing, nothing crazy or, or earth-shattering. Um, you know, we've created, you know, we've created a couple of new wines. There's a new um, uh, terroir-specific wine from a specific part of the estate that hadn't been isolated before. That it seemed like it was worthy of, of isolating that one. So that's been kind of neat. Um, you know, we'll release our first sparkling wine in 2024. <clears throat> Um, we have some new Chardonnay, <clears throat> excuse me. We have some new Chardonnay coming online. Uh, we did this year in 2019 that will kind of change the picture for what our, our state Chardonnay can be. So we'll, uh, we'll be bottling up our first, first wine using that, using that part of the estate uh, with the 19 vintage. So that's gonna be, gonna be fun and we'll see what, uh, you know, what the future holds with some of this other redevelopment that we have planned. All right, you mentioned your son getting interested in the industry. I'm sure that you've probably been approached before by people asking for your advice or words of wisdom on, on getting into Oregon wine. So yeah. uh, if someone were to want, told you they wanted to join the industry tomorrow, what would your words of wisdom to them be? Oh, well, I'd probably ask them, well, you know, well, do you want to be a winemaker? And if they asked me if I were a winemaker, I'd say, are you sure? Um, uh, um, because there are a lot of these notions about uh, you know wine winemaking as a career, and um, but it's a super fun dynamic job. Um, it's a, it is a truly great industry to you know just the Willamette Valley wine industry. It is a truly great industry to be a part of because of that communal kind of collegiality kind of thing. Whether that's coming together through times of crisis like COVID, um, or getting to be involved in things like Oregon Pinot Noir Camp um, or, uh, the, you know, or things like IPNC. 
um, and it's just it's just fun, and 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 it's fun to get to hang out with a bunch of other winos and talk about what we like and and get to share something that we're all passionate about, um, you know, like wine. And I would say, you know, the there are so many different layers and levels of the of the Willamette Valley wine industry, whether that's careers in winemaking or careers in things like marketing or you know administration or sales um, but we all get to be a part of it and ultimately we're all aiming for the same thing um, so yeah uh, but but, but advice-wise um, if if I were speaking to someone looking for like uh, a career as a winemaker I'd say find a good mentor uh, um, and I might say I might say the same kind of thing for for other career paths although that's you know this is the one that I've chosen but never never wrong to never, never a bad idea to, to find a, you know a great uh, individual to work for um, who can, uh, you know, be a good teacher, and it's I think that's one of the things that I've actually realized, like in in this possession, you know, profession for me, is I I actually you know like when I set out to be a high school science teacher and a swimming coach, my kids are both better swimmers than I ever was. Um, my daughter was a state champion in 50 meter freestyle a couple of years ago, and. Um, but the mentoring thing I get to do with, with teams and, and get to teach, and so I still kind of get to do a lot of what I liked anyway. Yeah. All right, so the questions that I have for you, is there anything I didn't ask that I should have, anything we didn't cover today that we should have covered? You know, you, you, I mean, you didn't ask me about my favorite Halloween costume, but that's okay, <laughs> I won't take that uh, personally, but... Uh, for the follow-up. Yeah, yeah, we'll, maybe, maybe some other time. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time today, for yeah. exactly virtual handshake, yeah. for, for hosting us here today and, and sharing your story with us. And we'll go ahead and let you off the hook. Thanks, man. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all the supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have made our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews plus photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you by the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield University. The executive producer is Kiana Anderson. Producers are Rich Schmidt, Rachel Woody, Stephanie Hoffman, and Camille Weber. Special thanks to all the Linfield Archive students who have assisted on our oral history interviews.